Jesus' name, a worthy name, the name that life is all about. And I also bring you greetings from Waymart, Pennsylvania. It's where we're from. Uh, Waymart is in the northeast corner of Pennsylvania. <coughs> and we enjoy it up there. And our congregation is uh, quite a bit smaller than this. We have a normal attendance of uh, mid-30s. So a lot less people. But it's good to be here this morning because this is where I, much of my life's journey has started. So we would have come to this church soon after we uh, got married and we would have gone baptized here and there are many people here that I am so thankful that I got to know in the last few years because it has been a great benefit in my life and I hope that I can be a benefit to other people as well. And I believe that is what the Christian life is all about. It's all about being a benefit to other people, not about getting through life myself or yourself, but in how you can benefit other people in getting through life. Romans 12, in verse 2, it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I want to do a brief, uh, I want to look briefly at these two of these words in this verse. So we have the word conformed, then we have the word transformed. <clears throat> and the first part of the statement says, and be not conformed to this world. And I believe world here has, is the idea of uh, sin. So be not conformed to this world, not to this, the fleshly desires, not to sin. We're not to conform to those things. And to conform means to comply with the rules or standards or, or laws. And I believe that's talking about the law of sin in, that we're all born with. So we were all born sinners. And we all have a natural tendency to sin, to do that which is not right. So we're all bent toward that. But it says to not be conformed to that. We're not to give in to that desire. So that is, is something that every one of us this morning is familiar with. That to be conformed to, to, be, to feel that pressure to give in to what is not right. And here it says to not conform to that. We're not to lean toward sin. We're to stay away from it. And... I appreciated the thoughts this morning in uh, the devotions about uh, slipping away and and I don't think there is I have this struggle with with people that live the Christian life that it appears like it's the most boring thing ever because it shouldn't be. And I consider myself, I might consider myself a, I think there was mention made about hunting this morning, and I consider myself a passive hunter. Because, and what a passive hunter is, it usually doesn't get you anywhere. I, I hunted in the past, I don't hate it, I, I enjoy going out in the woods, but I haven't gone out in the woods this year because I, I'm a passive hunter. I don't, it's not my drive, it's not my motivation. And, and so I want to think briefly about being a passive Christian. So if it, it's not your interest, you're a Christian. Let's say I'm a Christian, but it's not really my interest. I'm just, that's just where I was born into. I was born into a Christian family, so that makes me a Christian. And it's not really exciting. There's a lot more exciting things to happen, like uh, sports. And anything can be more exciting than Christianity, than living a Christian life. So if you're a passive Christian... That is going, I believe that is going to take you, if you're passive, it's going to take you, it's not going to take you where you want to go. So I'm, if you want to consider myself a passive hunter, it does not get me out in the woods. And I believe the same thing is true for uh, living a, Christ, a passive Christian life. If you're not 
in it, our Sunday school lesson this morning was on contending for the faith. If you're not fighting for something, you're losing. So the Christian life is exciting if you're living it to its fullest. If you are living your life for the Lord Jesus Christ, it should be the most exciting thing ever. And the other word I want to look at is uh, transform. It says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that is something that happens once you realize your purpose in life. Once a person realizes why they are here, then life becomes exciting. But if you're just a Christian because you were, your family was always Christian and, and it's, just, it's just gonna keep on going and, and you never fully realize your purpose in life, life is always going to be boring. The Christian life is always gonna be boring. But once you realize that your life has a purpose and the Lord Jesus Christ has a purpose for your life and that that purpose is to contend for the faith, to go out into the world and share the message of salvation. There are a lot of people in today's world that do not know salvation is for them. I, one time I talked with a man that I, I, I forget how I started the conversation, but the idea that Jesus died for our sins was completely foreign to him. He had never heard of it. And I think he said he was a... A, uh, a Jew, and I don't know where he was, but uh, the idea that somebody died so that I could be forgiven, so that he could be forgiven, was completely, he never heard of it, never. <coughs> so I challenge you this morning to make that your purpose in life. Spread the news of the Lord Jesus Christ dying so that others could be forgiven. Make that the purpose of your life and it will be exciting. And that is the transformation that comes by uh, submitting, committing our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is an account of that happening in Acts 9 where Saul was on the road to Damascus and he was on the road to persecute the church. And on the road, uh, I'm not going to turn there, but he got interrupted. He got stopped by Jesus. And at that moment, there was a transformation that happened. Saul had a change of heart. He had a change of direction. So one week he was killing the church and the next week he was building it. And that change, I believe, needs to happen in my heart, it needs to happen in your heart before you are going to enjoy living a Christian life. And the title of my message this morning is uh, Transformed by Truth. And it is because I believe that God's word is truth and that is what changes us that is what transforms us into a a new person and it is going to if we believe this and if we apply this if we live this it is going to change a lot in our life it is going to change the way we look at the world, it is going to change the way we live lives, it is going to change uh, what we value. So the Word of God is transformational. It changes who a person is if they believe it and apply it to their lives. But the problem is, it needs to be what, it needs to, the Word of God it needs to be the main part of your diet before it's going to actually change you. And what I mean by that is in Matthew uh, verse five, chapter five, verse six says, uh, Jesus told those that were listening, blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. And that is a promise that if you are hungering after righteousness, you will be filled. But if we look at the word of God, and we look at everything else that is available to pass the time with, to fill our lives with, there is a lot to choose from. And the Word of God is, a lot of the times, not the choice that we go for. We have a, our second daughter, Madison, is, um, reacts to gluten. So we started to watch her diet and try to keep her from uh, consuming too much gluten because 
uh, she breaks out in spots. And so we watch her diet, we try to watch her diet. And, and if you're going somewhere and you stop at a fast food restaurant, there is not a whole lot on the menu that is gluten-free. And, and I believe the same thing is true for our Christian lives. That there is, we have a huge menu to choose from. But when we are hungering after righteousness, that, that puts out a lot of the things on the menu. And the Word of God is the only thing that is going to feed our hunger for, for, uh, for righteousness. And so we have this challenge before us to put off all the things that appeal to the eyes and to the flesh and to our senses and consume the Word of God as a major part of our, our, our diet. And I think we're all aware of the fact that an unhealthy diet leads to an unhealthy body. That's just a fact of life. If you live, live unhealthy, if you eat unhealthy, you're going to be unhealthy most times. And the same is true in our spiritual lives. If we have a, an unhealthy spiritual, uh, if we're consuming unhealthy things in our minds, we're going to be spiritually uh, unhealthy. It's not a good place to be. So we need to watch our diet. What is your intake? The major part of your intake during the week. There are a lot of things that are warring against the Word of God. And I believe that, that one of those things is, is uh, technology. It is warring. It is, is pulling people away from the Word of God. It's keeping people out of the Word of God. And it's keeping you from, or, or us, if we are giving in to that, uh, that desire to spend more time with, with um, exciting things, interactive things, then we're, it's pulling us out of the Word of God and we're not being transformed like we could be if we would have, a, have the Word of God as the major part of our diet. So it's a challenge for each one of us to watch our diet and to keep our... Uh, Keep ourselves filled with the Word of God. Jesus said uh, to those that believed in Him in John chapter 8, verse 32, if, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So the Word of God is the truth of God, and he's, Jesus said that if ye continue in my word, ye are my disciples, and it's going to make you free. So the Word of God this morning has the ability to, to free us. So I have three different points that I would like to look at in thinking of being transformed by truth. And the first one of them is um, accept. we need to accept His authority. And to accept His authority, it means that we are going to accept His Word as truth. No questions asked. This is going to be truth. If it doesn't make sense, then uh, it's not because it's not truth. It's because we have limited understanding. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The Bible needs to be our standard for daily life. It needs to be something that we don't just read, but something that we live. And Jesus is said that he is the way, the truth and the light. And that is the only way anyone is ever going to see the Father, is by following Jesus. And so we need to believe that. And we need to use that as the basis of every choice we make. So day in, day out, we are making choices. From week to week, day to day, we are making choices. And every one of those choices is made on the basis of something. And something is, is making you choose what you're choosing. Whether it's, it's the books you read, the, the hobbies you have, the, uh, the job you're at. Something is making you choose what you are choosing. And the challenge this morning is that we 
use the Word of God as the basis for every decision that we make in life. And I believe there is four other things that commonly get used in making choices. And they're not necessarily wrong in themselves. I'm not saying that those four other ones are wrong, but they are not reliable. They are not, they are not the Word of God, and therefore you can't base your choices off of those things. And those four are, the first one is culture, next one is tradition, third one is reason, and the fourth one is emotion. So those are four things that we often use that we often use to make choices. And the first one is culture. And what I mean by that is if everybody else is doing it, I'm going to do it too. If, if culture around you is doing it, then it must be all right and I'm going to do it. And that is often used in subconsciously in our minds. If we see uh, 10 other people do something that we would like to do, then that is going to affect how we move on with life. And sometimes, maybe oftentimes, that is the basis in which we make that choice. If, uh, if I see somebody driving a um, Volkswagen, and then a little bit later somebody else gets one, and pretty soon there's five of them sitting in the church parking lot, and I'm going to, and I have a desire to do the same thing, and that is going to affect my choice in my next vehicle. And the next one was tradition. We've always done it this way, so why change? And that is another thing that often gets used in choices people make. And I'm not saying one is, is wrong and the other's right. There's not a right. I don't believe there is a, a right or wrong here. Always. Depends what it is. But these two dynamics, I believe, are found wherever you have a group of people. You have people that are, that are making choices, that would like to make choices with the mentality of what other people are choosing. We want to go where other people are going, and then the other people are over here saying, no, we've never done it like that, we don't want to change, we want to stay here. So we have those two dynamics in a church body, what do we do? And we have those two dynamics in everything, in, in work, in church, in, even in the government, we have those two dynamics. And I found it interesting how, um, so I was looking a little bit at the American government. I am not, I do not read politics, so I could be wrong in some of this stuff. But um, I have always looked at the American government as a powerful government, and I think it is. It's very well designed. And, and but back when it started, I think it was in the 1700s, maybe, uh, where we had these, where the two parties were established, were first established. And I, th I think they were first called the Federalist and the Anti-Federalist. So that is the two parties that we still have in, in uh, general society today. We have those two parties uh, that make up the American people. We have Republican and Democrat, and that started way back in the 1700s. And those two parties are what makes, I think it's what makes the American government, it was what made the American government as powerful as it was. But it's coming to a point where, what, it's what they call the American uh, perception gap, I think it's called. The American perception gap is increasing the gap between the two parties. It's dividing the two parties apart and what that uh, perception gap is, is it's, it's one party is over here and they perceive that the other party is way over there. And in reality, that other party is right here. So let's say the Republicans are, are, are way over there and, and they perceive that the Democrats are way over there when the Democrats are actually right here on any given uh, top, on any given thing, like whatever they're fighting about, uh, guns and government and whatnot. 
So the Republicans think the Democrats are way over there and they're actually right here. The Democrats think the Republicans are way over there and the Republicans are actually right here. So they're really close together on a lot of these issues. But there is a gap between them that they're both perceiving the others to be way further apart than what they actually are. And I don't know if that all makes sense to you, but it is to a point where the, the two parties hate each other. And their main goal is to fight each other. And I believe when that, when that is, to the extent that that is happening, it is weakening their power. It is weakening the American government's power to protect itself. And let's bring that into a church body. We have, uh, and I'm not labeling anybody a traditionalist or a culturalist or anything. And I'm not saying the one is better than the other. I think we need both. We need both for a powerful body. And so we have these two, two dynamics in the church body. It's people that are pulled towards uh, culture to make ch uh, adjustments with what other people are doing. And then we have the people that want to stay the same, the same way that their forefathers have been. And, but I, I wonder if there is a perception gap in the body of Christ, in the church, where I want what I want, and you don't want it, so I perceive you to be way over there when you're actually almost agreeing with me. But you don't agree with me, so I think you're way over there. And so you're not agreeing with me, and you think I am way over there. I am 100% ready to head that direction, and I'm actually standing right here. So we're really close in how we want to do things, but we're all perceiving each other to be uh, 100 miles apart. And I think that is a weakness that we have in perceiving somebody to be way further from my values, from my goals, than what they actually are. And so we have this, um, and I think that these two, having these two dynamics in a church is what makes the church strong. But once we start making that our battle, once we start once I do not like that a brother is opposing where I want to go, and I make that my battle, I'm going to fight against his opinion, and he's going to fight against mine. And pretty soon, the whole church is divided into two parties, and we're going to either do it this way, or we're going to do it this way. And, we're, and that's how church split starts. We start uh, fighting each other, and what does that do? It weakens the body to another power that's going to come in and upset the whole thing. And I believe that the United States is fast-headed in that direction where, where there, is, there is no protection here at all because all we're, uh, all we're set to do is, is keep, keep my position as a Republican or as a Democrat. And I don't want the other party to kick me out. And so I'm going to focus on keeping my position and disregard the people out there. And somebody is probably out there watching, waiting to come in and just totally upset the American government. It is possible. And that happens in church life where we have a problem and there's some people that are way over there and there's other people that are way over here and we're actually right here, really close to each other. And we take our focus off of the word of God and we focus on the opposing party and you know what happens? Satan sees that. You're not, you're not in the word of God anymore. You're against him or you're against her. And that weakens our, our, uh, our path. We're not, we don't have the protection of God on our lives if we're fighting with each other. And that is where Satan comes and upsets the whole thing and it doesn't go anywhere anybody had wanted it to. So can we take those two dynamics and use them in a powerful way where Christ can use my opinion and your opinion and build something magnificent out of it? And the sorry thing is when we push our own agenda and we, it causes a church split, you know what happens? 
One dynamic goes this way and the other dynamic goes that way and they lose all of their balance. There is no more balance there. So we need people of different mindsets. We need diversity in a powerful body. And Christ wants diversity in a powerful in his body, I believe. So can we utilize those things but always keeping the word of God at top priority? The other two things were reason and emotion and those are are pretty simple things there. If something seems logical, uh, yeah, we're going to do it because it's the most logical thing to do. And emotional, if it feels right, then sure, it's the right thing to do, but it's not. Because we have, remember, we are born sinners and we have, our emotions are, are built from a uh, sinful heart. So for us to be uh, victorious, I believe we need to allow Jesus to have complete the ultimate supremacy in our lives and always want what Jesus wants. Not what I want, but what Jesus wants. Or else we're going to go astray. So we need to accept Jesus as the ultimate authority of our lives so that we can be transformed by truth. The second point was um, we need to assimilate his truth. And to assimilate means to take something in and to make it your own, to uh, resemble. And we need to not just read the word of God, but we need to make it our own. Make the life of, it says, uh, to assimilate means to cause to resemble. And the word Christian means follower, I think the, the uh, Greek root means follower of Christ. And so if you are a Christian this morning, if you say you're a Christian, you, that, that is saying you are a follower of Christ. And a follower of Christ is a resemblance of Christ. And so I believe our goal in life needs to not be to live up to the standards of the church. That is not the goal that you need in your life. The goal that you need for your life is to resemble Christ in every aspect of your life that you can. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every day, every hour, hunting season, uh, vacation, Sunday morning, every aspect of your life should be resembling Christ. That is the goal, should be the goal of a Christian. The goal of a follower of Christ to, is to resemble in every way to look like Christ, to be like Christ, to do what Christ would. Do your values, your possessions, your words, your lifestyle, do those things resemble the character of Christ. They should. So uh, Jesus was giving uh, the fundamental instructions to the Christian in on the Sermon of the Mount, just uh, telling them who, what kind of people they should be. And it was not enough for them to say, "Yeah, that sounds good. That's really nice." But Jesus wanted them to be those kinds of people, not just accept it, but to be those kind of people. There are people who profess to be Christians, and then there are people that you can see are a Christian by their life. And so if it's not your goal already, it should be to, for me and anybody else, to be able to see that you're a Christian because of how you live, not because it's where you grew up or because of it's who your parents were or uh, because it's what your church is. It, make it who you are. Make being a Christian who you are in everyday life. That should be our goal. I would like to turn to Luke chapter 8. Uh, it's a parable that Jesus was speaking on. 
and uh, read through that parable, it's pretty heavy. <coughs> Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he taught them using a parable and chapter 8 in verse 5, starting in verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And others fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? So Jesus was teaching his disciples using a parable. And he was using the parable of a sower that went out to plant his seed. And then in verse uh, 12, he starts explaining what he meant. So let's continue reading in verse 12. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, but in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth, and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on, the that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. So this parable here, he explained it and he was saying that the seed that the sower was planting is the truth. It is God's word. And the soil that is in this parable is your life and my life and all of our lives, our hearts. And when the seed falls on a heart, it's going to respond. And in this parable, there is four different hearts, four different kinds of lives that the seed falls on. And each one of these could be you. Each one of these could be me. So the first one is um, the hard soil. So the, the seed fell on the hard soil. And uh, what happened, the birds came and ate it up because they were exposed and they were there for the taking and they couldn't take root. And the bird or Satan came and took it away. And the, so the hard soil is I believe what he's referring to as a closed heart. So if your heart is closed, it is hard, and the word of truth, the God's word, you don't allow it to take root. And this is a, I think it's a choice that every one of us makes. When we hear truth, we respond to it in one way or another. And if we respond to it by denying everything and just flat out refusing to believe any of it, we have a hard heart and we're not allowing the truth to take root in our lives and to change us. And it is a, a dangerous place to be. And what I'm trying to say here is there are times in life where we need to be told something that does not sound nice. Something that we don't want to hear. And when that happens, we choose what we're going to do with that truth. Even though we might deny it was truth, it still was truth. Just because a person does not believe that Jesus is coming back doesn't change the fact that he's coming back. So if somebody says something to you that you flat out deny, does not change the fact if it is actually true. And one time I was, me and my wife were having a disagreement about something. I don't remember what it was, but I was convinced that she was just being stubborn and trying to get her own way. 
out of with whatever we were talking about. And and so I I guess I didn't have very nice words to say to her. And she told me, she looked at me and she told me that it feels like you are verbally abusing me. And I still remember where I was standing in our house. I was standing right, right in the doorway, standing there. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. And right there, I was faced with a choice that I had to make. I, I, I remember, clearly remember the two choices that lay before me. One was, no, she's just trying to get her own way. You're just trying to tell her what she needs to hear, and she's just trying to get her own way. That was the one choice I had to say that you have no idea. I'm just, I'm just saying how I feel and, and trying to get you to, to see how I feel. And I could, have given, I could have given into that voice and made that choice that you have no idea what you're saying. I'm just being a leader. The other thing was, she's right. The other choice I had was, she is right, you are out of your place. And you need to step back and you need to fix things. So what do you do when somebody says something to you about your life, something that you are doing, and it hits you, and you hate what you hear, and it's not true because that is not who I am, and it's, it's, just, not, it's just not me. They have no idea what they're talking about. But probably at the same time, you have that quiet voice that says, oh, I don't know, you, you think about that for a little bit. So we have this challenge to take the negative feedback and allow it to make you a better person. I had this quote in the front of my Bible that I heard at a revival meetings one time and I, I just keep thinking about it and thinking about it and it's just so true. And it is, we can respond to negative circumstances in retaliation or representably. So somebody says something to you that you do not like to hear Maybe they were out of their place, maybe they weren't. The choice is yours how you're going to respond. If it's not true, then why get fired up? Just take it and okay, maybe, maybe there is some work I can do here. That is the first ground. If you flat out refuse to hear any reproof, any instruction, your heart is hard and you're not going to get anywhere in life. The second one is in verse 6. It is the shallow soil, a superficial heart. It is a heart that is filled with bad experiences and it refuses to allow something else to come into their life because they're afraid of getting hurt again. So, uh, so a lot of things in life can hurt and maybe it was somebody coming to you over and over and over again about this one thing that it's in your life that you just hate to hear about. And after a while, if you go through that and just allow them to build up and build up, after a while you have this shallow heart where there's not much soil there for a seed to take root and you don't listen to anything because you are afraid of being hurt. And so after a while, there's no, there's no soil there for the seed to take root. The third one is in the uh, verse 7, is the weedy soil, a distracted heart. It's when your wealth and your hobbies outweigh God. It is when your wealth and your hobbies hold a bigger value than coming to church or having devotions or spending time in, with God. And it separates you from God. There is so much that is going on in today's world, so much that we can uh, participate in and if we give in to it all, there's hardly room left for Jesus. So our priority needs to be Jesus and everything else needs to come into context around that. The fourth soil was the good soil in verse 8. A purposeful heart, they hear and abide and it transforms them. It was in uh, verse 8. It says, and other fell in, on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit and hundredfold. Then he explains that in uh, verse 15, 
but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Is that you this morning? Is your heart ready to bear fruit? Is your heart bearing fruit this morning? Or does one of the, one of the other soyos more accurately depict your heart? So something I think we need to spend more time in these verses and identifying, trying to identify who we are. Are we the good soil or do we have some work till we get there? And I'm, right now I'm kind of wrestling with this question in my head about what happens if I am deceived. So if I am deceived, I'm doing something wrong and I don't know that I'm doing it wrong. So I need a brother to tell me that something doesn't line up in your life. Uh, are you aware of that? And it's not something I can do myself because I'm deceived. And is that going on in our churches today? I wonder, I sometimes wonder if there's too much, too much of the, and I'm not, I don't want to judge this morning, anybody, but there seems, it seems to be like our freedom is being taken away to admonish one another. So in the world, in society, you have the freedom of speech, yeah, freedom of speech, but you can't say certain things. It's just a given that you can't say certain things. And I wonder if that is in the church too. That, so the, the biblical, biblically speaking, we are to admonish and reprove and, and instruct one another. And I would just like to raise the question, is the freedom do we still have the freedom in our Anabaptist circles to admonish one another? What happens when I am admonished or reproved? Does it send me packing or do I evaluate the reproof and allow it to change me? And that is the choice that is before us, I believe. If it sends you packing, if you respond in retaliation, there's something not right. If a brother comes to you in, in uh, reproof or in admonishment, and you respond in retaliation, something is not right. So our goal, is to, our goal needs to be to be always growing in the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. I had to think of a garden of corn. So if you have corn planted when it's young, it's coming up, the sun can shine in and you have to pull a lot of weeds. But what happens uh, four weeks, uh, yeah, four weeks, five weeks later when the corn is uh, growing bigger and bigger and there's a lot less weeds that need pulled, right? There's just way less weeding. The weeds don't grow in the corn once the corn is, is four or five feet tall because the sun can't shine in and the weeds can't grow without light as well. And I like to think of it, of that as, as the body of Christ. So here we are, a hundred and some people, and we're here for a reason. We're here to protect one another. You can't protect yourself. I can't protect myself. We need each other. And unless I have the freedom to, um, to reach out to a brother, unless if I handicap you by saying, you can't tell me what to do because I know myself, you have no right to, to judge me. If I handicap you in that, in that way, there is no protection for me in, in the brotherhood because we need to be open and receive everything representably. We are created to be like him and are 
daily goal needs to be to be on that journey, to be more and more like Jesus every day of the week, not just on Sunday. The third point is we need to apply the principles of God's word. And I believe it's the last, I believe it's one of the hardest things to do because it doesn't end. It keeps on going. It's an any, everyday thing. And we can read and we can understand and spend time in scriptures, but that is not going to, that is not going to change you. You need to apply the principles of God's word in your life before it is going to change you. So a few questions. What motivates you? What excites you? Do you love the brotherhood or would you rather spend your time somewhere else? Are you passionate about following Jesus? And I think that a dislike for the brotherhood is a sign of a superficial heart, a heart that has been hurt and is refusing to hear anything else. We need to hear, it's, it's a painful thing, but we need to hear hard things at times. And that is what's going to change us for the better. A few pages uh, before Luke 8 and Luke 6, uh, Jesus gives another illustration. Luke 6 in verse 43. For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. And I would like to stop here for a moment and... I know we talked a lot about responding to, uh, responding to admonition or reproof. And I would just like to, for us to think for a minute on how Jesus responded. So the Christian life is, is all about resembling Jesus. And so how did Jesus respond when he was admonished and rebuked? I believe that gives us the formula for us how we should respond. Jesus did not respond in retaliation. Jesus, what was said to Jesus, a lot of the stuff was painful and, and obviously false. And what, how did he respond? He did not get fired up. He took it. And I think that needs to be our goal is to to take things, even if they aren't true. Why, why make a fuss if it's not true? I think we, have, we all have things for us to work through, and it, it's different for everyone. And for me, it is, we all have things that are hard to work through, and it's different for everyone. And probably the hardest things that I had to work through was to get past my uh, sinful lifestyle. Um, and still today, it kind of, it's a hard thing for me to live with uh, who I had been. And I think for some people it is uh, the hurts that they have. People have hurt them over and over and over again and they're, they're, it's getting carried along and they're not dealing with it. And the same thing happens for me if I don't leave my sin in the past, it's going, to, it's going to affect how I live today. So we have this challenge before us to lay down, lay down what is causing you unrest. If you have been born again, if you have been forgiven, the past is in the past and it stays there. And I think we need to pick up and move on past who we had been. 
and we can be a new, a new person. So in conclusion, we need to do those three things, and I think they are outlined in verse 47, in Luke 6, verse 47, it says, Whosoever cometh to me, whosoever accepts my authority, and heareth my sayings, if they apply them to, if you apply them to your life, and do them, you apply the principles. I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon the house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. So in verse 47, he gives us three things that we need to do. We need to come to him, come to Jesus, and we need to hear what he has to say. And that is in the scriptures. He has a lot to say to us in his scriptures. And then thirdly, we need to do them every day, not just Sunday, every day of our life. We need to do the principles that we read in his word. And then he says who you are like if you follow those three things. And it's in verse 48. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep. So you and I are building a house. We are building our lives. And we're building it on something. And we can choose what that something is. We will choose what that something is. So let's make that something the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the foundation of our life, the Lord Jesus Christ, and build on Him every year. Keep building on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to become stronger and stronger the more time we spend in Him. And it's just what He wants for His people. Shall we kneel? Father, we come before you and we thank you for that you have loved us, that you have seen it fit to uh, come out of the glories of heaven and to make a sacrifice so that we could be made new. Father, we know that we are still so far from your image. We still don't resemble you. But Father, make it the, the goal of each one of our lives to more and more resemble you in our daily walk in life, that we might be known as Christians by our lifestyles, by how we live, by how we respond. Lord, I pray that if there is any negative feedback that we receive, that we could deal with it representatively, and that we could allow it to make us a better person. And Father, we know that all things like this happen for your glory and your honor, and we pray, Father, that you would build your church here in Milmont. Pray that you would help the people to to lay their differences aside for a unified goal of building the church of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would give them courage, give them uh, victory in their personal lives to boldly present the gospel to those that don't know you. And Father, at the same time, to work together in harmony to want what Jesus wants. Father, we pray that you would bless this congregation as they uh, go from here. Pray that you would build them. In your name we pray. Amen. And we'll have a